0: Gabriella Balcom won the right to have a novel published by Clarendon House Publishing when one of her stories was voted best in the anthology in which it appeared. Her book, On the Wings of Ideas, came out following this. What's your favourite genre? Fantasy? Horror? Sci-fi? Romance? Literary fiction? This multi-genre collection of short stories includes all of that and more, and has something for everyone. Gabriella's stories will alternately move you and bring you to tears captivate or horrify you and have you on the edge of your seat. Don't miss out. Be sure to get a copy today. Submissions are now open until August 1st for the Sweetie Cat Press Anthology, The Whole Wide World. The submissions should be episodes of no more than 3,000 words and as few as 50 words about the worldwide adventures of Detective Curly Necklewad and his assistant, Miss Wanda Wowser, as they go on a manhunt for the unknown thief of the limp noodle sauce recipe stolen from the secret government food laboratory in San Francisco. Submission guidelines are in the blog section of the Sweetie Cat Press website at sweetiecatpress.com. That's Sweetie Press. S-W-E-E-T-Y-C-A-T-P-R-E-S-S dot com. .com. Gabriella Balcom's thrilling sci-fi novella The Return. The world doesn't know about the compound hidden underground, and the wealthy investors funding it want things to stay that way. Although it's the year 2027, Most of the facility's research is illegal. If animal rights activists had an inkling of what went on, they'd clamor for justice. Human rights activists would scream from the rooftops. By the time 2030 arrives, researchers have worked for a while with feline service units and human replicas, HRs, who are virtual prisoners with no rights. More and more of them are dying and they long for freedom. Surprisingly, one of the top scientists isn't happy with the status quo either. Tensions are mounting, and things are not as they appear.
1: Summertime is here, and the best way to beat the heat is with these great deals at MythMark.com. Join the adventure with sisters Emma and Olivia as they journey through the land of imagination in search of Yoon, the magical unicorn, in David K. Montoya's The Missing Unicorn and the Land of the Zombie Fairies or travel with poet Christopher Bice as he shares his thoughts on love, death, inspiration, and madness in Escaping the Darkness, Running from My Dreams. If fantasy romance is more your speed, join Celeste and Merrick as they figure out how to defeat the evil Wren doll while they figure out the plans of the elders in Stephanie J. Vardy's The Chosen. Like comic books, we got them too! Hot off the press is American Smash by Alan Russo and David K. Montoya for $4.99. Or enjoy our older releases, like The Hunter's Exodus, for only $2.99. Also, just in time for the summer are these other hot deals, like Zoe M. Montoya's Uni Whale t-shirt, blue for boys and pink for girls, only $33.99. Or Lupus Bits the Podcast shirt, for $27.99. For all our art lovers, we have something for you too with our prints and lithographs. Check out the Ed Vickford collection for $15 each or enjoy the art of Vincent May for $15. We have everything you'll need to stay inside and beat the summertime heat at MythMart.com. For more information, go to www.mythmart.com, call us at 870-557-2612 or email sales at mythmart.com. And now enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Carry on, my little son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry, Don't you cry.
0: Hey everybody and welcome to the noisy world of Lupus Bits. I am your host Lupa Barty, otherwise known as Stephanie J. Barty. And welcome to episode 50. Woohoo. We're getting close folks, two more episodes and we will be at 52. <sighs> it is hotter than Hades here. Let me tell you, I'm not one to complain about the heat. And believe me, I'm not complaining. Not in the slightest. I'm not complaining. It's just very humid, too, so my hair is complaining in a variety of frizzy, fuzzy, curly, colorful ways, and that's no fun. But I can honestly say at least I don't live in B.C., because they hit a lovely 118 degrees the other day. They set a new record for hottest temperatures in Canada ever, since they began recording temperature. It is the hottest temperature Anywhere in Canada, ever, <laughs> and there was a summer we had here. Oh gosh, nine or ten years ago, maybe. And I was at an event called Spirits of the Earth, and uh, Misha, you'll remember this. It was hotter that one day here in Ontario than it was in Kenya, because it was. We were just they had set up a misting tent, there were wading pools everywhere because it was just so stinking hot and I mean there were a lot of little kids running around so the organizers wanted to see you know what we were comparable to and we were actually hotter than Kenya ridiculously hot yeah well it's been that way here too this year and we actually the other day we reached 111 with the humidity and if you don't live in a humid place it's hard to understand what that means so it may have said that it was only 88 degrees. Feels like 111. Now, when it says feels like, that means it feels like it's 111. So I don't care if the actual temperature is 88. Factor in the humidity, it feels like 111. Therefore, it's 111. Or 42 degrees Celsius, I do believe that is. Stinking hot. Stinking hot. And... Sweaty, very very sweaty. I'm lucky because I happen to have a fan where I'm staying, and I sit it on the chair beside the cot that I'm sleeping on, and it pretty much blasts me into the wall. And because it spins so fast, it actually cools the air as it's it's blowing it out. Instead of like those fans that just kind of blow hot air at you, it's blowing cool air at me. And I've I've for the most part have slept under a blanket every night now. Last night, um, I was feeling, well, I've, I've told everybody this. I felt like I went 10 rounds with Babe Ruth's bat. If you don't know who Babe Ruth is. Google it. And Chris, I know you were being a smarty pants. I felt like I had been beaten with a baseball bat repeatedly. I had. I went and got my second um, shot the day before. And I had started developing a mild headache by the evening. And I didn't think anything of it. I've got a bit of mouth pain at the moment. The roof of my mouth, I don't know why, but for some reason, behind my front teeth has all swollen, and like, there's nothing stuck up in there. The teeth themselves don't hurt. It's the gums that are hurting, but anyway, that's besides the point, totally unrelated. And there was a storm coming in, so I figured the the headache was just from that, and then I was sitting down in my mom's suite at my sister's place, because she's got her own rooms, and she's got, like, her nightgowns hiked right up to her upper thighs. And, you know, she's wearing one of them strappy little nightgowns. And she's just like, ah, ah, ah. And, you know, she sounds like Darth Vader dying of the heat. And I'm sitting over in the chair. And I looked at my mom and I went, it's really cool in here. And she's like, I beg your pardon? Now, you have to understand, there is absolutely no airflow in my mom's suites. And my brother-in-law told my mom to close the window... So that we could keep the cool air. But she won't open her door. So it's basically a stuffy little hot box. And she's over there like with her little napkin wiping the sweat away. And I'm like, no, seriously. It feels like it just dropped five degrees here. I actually had goosebumps. That should have been indication number two. (laughs) That I was not going to fare well with my second shot. I woke up the next morning and my head was just pounding It was all I could do just to sit up. I was sweating profusely and then 20 minutes later, I was shivering. I spent the day lying on the couch, looking after my niece and my nephew because it was all I could do. I I just, I hurt. Every muscle hurt. Every hair follicle hurt. The hair on my arms hurt. The hair on my head hurt. My eyelashes hurt. Everything hurt. And it it wasn't flu-like symptoms, it just hurt. And I was in bed last night, like six o'clock dinner was done and I ate what I could and just looked at mom and went, okay, I'm out. I've been on the couch all day. I looked after the kids. I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm going to bed. And I watched a couple of movies and I think it was like 1130 when I finally went, that's it. I'm I'm out. I'm done. Stay in the night. Talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> I was done. And I actually slept just under the sheet last night with the fan blowing on me, full blast. Mom brought me out the uh, no-name Tylenol, the acetaminophen. And I think throughout the night I was taking like three. So I was taking about 1,500 milligrams every three hours, every two to three hours, just to kind of keep the pain at bay. And I feel, I don't feel 100% today, but I feel 100% better than I felt yesterday. I was able to sit up. I was joking with my niece and my nephew this morning. And, you know, my mom, when my mom got up and came upstairs, we had just finished singing. Um, there was an old woman who swallowed a fly. And we were working on, there's a hole in the bottom of the sea. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling a lot better today. Well enough that I jumped on the old potty training train today. And my niece is... She'll be two in August. And she is advanced for her age, but second children tend to be because they watch a lot of what their older siblings do. And Everett's a genius, so, you know. She's already speaking in three and four-word sentences. She has a very independent personality. (laughs) And she has no bones about making it known that she has very strong opinions about things. Well, they have the potty sitting there they brought it down just to kind of, because that's what you kind of do. You kind of show them the potty, you tell them what you do on it, and then you kind of let them sniff it out, you know, like a dog with a new toy. And she had peed on the potty a couple of times with my brother-in-law. And then, so today she was, my sister ordered pull-ups for her and they arrived and she was all excited because, you know, these weren't diapers. These were underwear. And they were her favorite color. They were purple. See, she's my favorite niece. Just saying. Actually, she's my only niece, but, you know, for now. We don't know what we're, we're going to get on Monday. Anyway, so we, all right, you want to sit on the potty. So we took the diaper off. She sat on the potty and she peed. And every time she sat on the potty, she peed. Still working up to the poop because she said she had to poop. But, you know, hey, she peed. So we were all excited. We made this big deal about it. Gave her a little chocolate. Went and got her McDonald's for lunch. And I told her, if she poos, then we're going to get ice cream. I will totally break keto for a poop. I'm telling you, I will, because it's ice cream. Ice cream. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's kind of been my, my last couple of days. Um, I was supposed to record this last night, but, again, sitting up was just not an option. I had sat up long enough to shovel food into my face, and it wasn't even a lot of food. I think I had, we had gyros for dinner last night. If you're not Greek, then it's pronounced gyros. <laughs> And it's just, you know, stuff, meat and cheese and onions and tzatziki. And I did it in a Wonder Bread wrap, which I was already out of keto because I totally blew keto the other day when I came home. My brother-in-law ordered pizza from the pizza house, and it's one of those locally owned pizza places. Oh, my God. (laughs) When he said he was ordering pizza from the pizza house, I'm like, hmm, I haven't had bread or pasta or anything like that in three weeks do i really really want to throw it away and then i opened the fridge and there was an ice and this was the day that it was 111 and there was an ice cold goers light can staring at me from the top shelf and i went yep pizza and beer it is so i figured if i was gonna blow keto i was gonna go big so yeah it was really good pizza i'm telling you privately owned locally owned pizza joints are the best pizza ever it beats the chain pizza places hands down every time, every time. Now, I would have preferred Gino's, which is kind of a chain, but it's a little hole in the wall kind of chain. So you still get that home cooked, family owned kind of feel to it. But yeah, the pizza house. So good. So good. Yeah, I paid for it the next day and I'm still not completely back in keto. And yesterday I'm like, I, I just I need the carbs. I need the energy. I need something. So I figured meat and vegetable was just not going to cut it. So, But today I am back strict doing, you know, the no carb thing. Although mom's making hamburg casserole for dinner, so I'm not quite sure how that's going to go. I'm going to be picking the noodles out, that's for sure. But I have to check the cans so I can make sure that I could actually have the soup in it too. But it'll be another day or so before I'm back into keto. But I'm working on it. I'm getting there. I mean, I didn't gain any weight going off of it. Other Well, I gained four pounds, I think. But like I said, it's been really hot and really humid, and I haven't been drinking as much water. Especially yesterday, I drank hardly nothing yesterday. A mouthful every time I took some pills. That was it. So I know some of this is water weight. I can tell because my feet look flat. When my feet look puffy and flat and have no definition, I know I'm retaining water because I actually have very defined feet. I I think I have very pretty feet when I take care of them. Yeah, so, yeah, it's been an interesting couple of days. My voice still isn't great. My throat was kind of sore yesterday, and you could really hear it, too, in my voice when I would talk. It would be, like, really rumbly and raspy and raggly and raggly. There's a new word for you. And I'm not, it's not perfect today either, but, you know, the show must go on. So here we are. Welcome Friday. I have some fun facts for you. I do have some serious stuff, and if you're from Canada, it's a topic that's going to be in the top five conversations for a long time. Um, you've heard me talk about residential schools, you've heard me talk about all of the, the unmarked graves that they've been finding at these residential schools. They've recently, I think I mentioned it last week, they, they found another 750 unmarked graves and today when I checked they found another 182 at another residential school unmarked graves. and. I'm recording this on the 30th. You're going to hear this on Friday, which will be the third, no, the second. So in between when I'm recording this and when you're going to hear it, Canada Day is going to happen, and that's going to be tomorrow. And there's a big controversy going around regarding Canada Day and Canada Day celebrations. And I just totally realized that my word Canada sounds very Canadian at the moment. It's funny because I spend a lot of time talking to Americans. So I every now and again, they'll say you sound very Canadian or your accent's very thick. And I don't notice that I have an accent until it's pointed out to me. But now I'm starting to kind of notice it more and more as I say certain words. And it's like, oh, well, all right. Yep. Canada sounds very Canadian. (laughs) When I say Canada, can't help it. Anyway, there's a lot of controversy and a lot of, of it's a very hot button topic right now celebrating Canada Day because a lot of people believe that Canada Day should not be celebrated this year in light of everything that is going on regarding the residential schools and our Indigenous peoples. And you hear me say Indigenous a lot. You don't ever hear me call them Native or called Aboriginal or Indian. They are Indigenous. And if you want to know why, again, I suggest you Google it and find out when, uh, if you, when you, the, orig- actual or- bleh, the actual origin of the word aboriginal stems from Australia. The use of the term aboriginal stems from Australia and from the aboriginal people there. And it kind of got adopted in Canada to refer to our indigenous people. We used to call them Indians, and then that became inappropriate, understandably, and they were called natives. And then that became politically incorrect, So now we call them indigenous, which means of the land. They lived here first. This is their land. I jumped in my car today, and I'm ready and well-prepared tomorrow. I will be celebrating Canada today with my family. Um, It'll be a quiet little affair. We'll just, you know, barbecuing, whatever, hanging out at the house, nothing special, no fireworks, not going to do anything major. And I will be wearing my orange shirt I don't care how hot it is or how humid it is, I will have my orange shirt on. You will probably see TikToks and videos and selfies of me in my orange shirt showing my respect and standing in solidarity with our Indigenous people because I do feel for them. I do, you know, carry the shame of not educating myself more on their plight. And I do have Indigenous people in my family. So I will be wearing my orange shirt tomorrow, but... I also have a three-year-old and a one-year-old nephew that are going to want to do Canada Day things. So there's that. And I don't think from everything that I've listened to, everything that I've read and all of the media and, and conversations that I've had, nobody is saying don't celebrate. Canada has done some amazing things. Insulin for one. We have done some amazing things, but within those amazing things and those wonderful things that we have done, we have done some very dark, some very horrible things. Our government has sanctioned some very horrible things, and the church has carried out those very horrible things. In recognizing every good that we have done, we also have to acknowledge the very bad that we have done as well. And every year up to this point, we have celebrated the good and we have been proud of our country. And I'm not telling you not to be proud of our country. Be proud of our country. But be proud of a country that is awake to change, is willing to change, and is willing to make reparations for the harm that it caused in the past. And I'm not going to make excuses and say that, you know, it was the time and and they didn't know any better. Because they did. They did. They knew better. It was just easier to assimilate the indigenous peoples into the white culture, into the European culture that had come in and taken over the country than it was to honor them. So they knew what they were doing. They understood what they were doing. Our country built these schools to make them whiter, to erase their history, to erase their culture and assimilate them into their culture. Simple as that. And the church staffed these schools, put the teachers and the educators and the monitors in place in these schools and allowed them to do what they did. Now, this is my personal opinion. This is my, the way I see it, this is no way reflects the Modcast Network or JASOMOD Dark Myth Company at all. So don't go after them. If you have a problem with what I'm about to say, come at me. This is my opinion and mine alone, now that I put that disclaimer out there. The government built these schools, and they said to the Catholic Church, you staff them. You put the nuns in there. You put the priests in there. You take these children from their homes and raise them the Christian way, and you raise them to be integrated into Anglo-Saxon society. And then the government went, we're out. It's all you. And the Catholic Church went, OK, this is how we know how to do it. Now, anybody who's ever attended Catholic school back in the 70s, back in the 80s, will have a story about that one nun and her yardstick. I didn't attend a Catholic school, but the public school that I attended in Portman Nickel, we did catechism every Friday and we had that one nun with the yardstick. And let me tell you, if your eyeballs strayed sideways in any way, shape or form, when you were supposed to be looking at the board or reading your Bible passage, that yardstick came down really, really heavy. Now, that was in a predominantly white public school. Can you imagine for a moment the freedom that they would have had in a residential school with nobody breathing over their net, down their back, to tell them, you can't do that. No parents to come forth and say, you can't do that to my child. What do you think you're doing? Because they were taken from their parents. And then spitting them out, if they survived, into a predominantly white completely white community and telling them to assimilate. All right, we're carrying on after a brief interruption from our live studio audience. I was, I I wasn't corrected, but I was, no, I think he was trying to correct me. I keep saying white and it was European. It was the Europeans that came over to Canada and basically stole the land. Now I keep saying white because it's white man, red man. The Europeans were considered white man, that's what they were called. So when I say white man, I mean the Europeans, okay? Just to clarify that. There we go. All right, studio audience is happy. So there was no outside governing body for these schools, for these nuns and these priests. Nothing but their own moral compass, which apparently, well, Not apparently but definitely was askew and if you happen to hear that that squeaking noise that is the dog beside me chewing on her little rawhide bone because she needs to be out of her cage but i need to keep her in one spot so (laughs) she likes her her no rawhide chew thing and she's very happy but you may hear the odd squeak because she is enjoying it so there's no governing body if the government was aware they turned a blind eye and Unfortunately, we're never going to be able to prove that the government knew exactly what was going on in these schools. The only people that knew exactly what was going on in these schools was the Catholic Church, because the Catholic Church put those people in place. And when children died, I can guarantee you the nuns and the priests at those schools went to the church and went, "Uh uh-oh, we got 150 dead kids. What do we do? And the church went, bury them, hide them, pretend it didn't happen. Erase them. Plain and simple. Erase them. And that's what they did. And now we're finding them. While the government is still to blame, the Catholic Church holds the bulk of the shame and the bulk of the responsibility for the damage done to the Indigenous people. Because it was at their hands that this happened. Their actual physical hands that this happened. The government is culpable. The government is responsible because they turned a blind eye. They built these schools. They said, this is why we're building these schools and handed it to the church and said, okay, you do it the way you see fit. And then as things started coming out throughout the years, the government still ignored it and kept it quiet and buried it just like those children. Yes, I know it sounds like I'm very passionate about this and I am very passionate about this because I know people that could have been caught up in that that could have been swept up in the 60s sweep, who could have ended up in residential school. The last residen- residential school closed in, I think it was either between 1996 and 1998. My son, who has Indigenous blood in him, was born in 1990. Had I been of Native blood myself, of Indigenous blood myself, and had he had been born on the reserve, they could have very well have taken my son and put him in a residential school. And he was not a strong child as a baby. He did not have a strong constitution until he was about five years old. He was sick all the time. So I honestly don't think he would have survived. I don't I don't think he would have survived. And that kind of really puts it into perspective for me, really makes it real for me. And I see these tiny little footprints, and I see these tiny little shoes, and I hear the reports of, you know, it was a three-year-old, it was a five-year-old, it was a two-year-old. And I look at my niece and my nephew, and I look at my friend's kids. I mean, they had kids, and some people are going, oh, well, they weren't all kids, they were adults. Those kids stayed in those schools until they were 18 years old. So, yeah, you're going to have 18-year-old bodies that they're finding, 16-year-old bodies, 13, 12, 9, And if you have children and you have grandchildren in that age, anywhere from a baby to 18 years old, look at them and try and imagine, try and imagine them being treated that way. The atrocities that were put upon these children, the beatings, the starvings, the abuse, physical and sexual. And then look at your child. How real does that make it for you? Because it makes it incredibly real for me. And... When the story broke the first time with the 250 and one of them was a three-year-old, I sat and I hugged my nephew for a good half hour and just cried. He couldn't figure out why. He thought I was sad. And I was because I'm looking at this beautiful, innocent three-year-old child and I'm thinking that somebody thought it was a good idea to do something to that three-year-old child bad enough to take their life. Whether they starved them, whether they beat them, Whether they suffocated them, some of them were buried alive because some of the older girls would get pregnant and have their babies in the residential school and those babies were buried alive. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I'm talking about this today is not because tomorrow is Canada Day, but I was in the car. I was going to A&W to get lunch for me and the McDonald's to get lunch for my niece and nephew and my mom. And I'm sitting in the drive-thru at the AW and I'm watching people come and go, and it's right beside the Starbucks. And I'm watching people get angry and because and, the lineup is absolutely ridiculous. There's one way in to the Starbucks and to the AW. And you have to kind of cut through the middle of the Starbucks line to get to the A&W. Do you know how Starbucks people get? And I do believe they're called Starbies. Do you know how they get when you cut them off for a second and a half? From getting their Starbucks coffee? They lose their ever-loving minds. Look, like I'm just driving by you. I'm not stopping here. I'm not preventing you from getting your coffee. I'm driving through the opening in the line. I'm not cutting you off. I'm not cutting in front of you. I honestly thought the minivan was going to run me over. Because as I'm coming through the line, the car that was ahead of them moved. And, you know, I guess they were afraid they were going to lose their spot for their... Whatever they were going to get. She looked like a... Uh, mocha latte triple half fat kind of person I don't know anyway kind of scary so I'm sitting in line and I've got the radio on and I'm just kind of staring off into space listening to the radio and I didn't realize this and again I'm ashamed that I didn't but I don't listen to a lot of radio today is called and it's I'm just pulling up the web page now Today is called A Day to Listen, and they set this day as a day to to listen, and it's actually funded by the, oh, I can't read that, Gord Downey, and I can't read the other name, and I'm so ashamed. It's very small, and my eyesight is not the greatest because I don't have my glasses on, but it's by this Downey Wenjack Fund. I'm going to pull this up so you understand why Gord Downey's foundation would be involved, he has, when he was alive, he fought a lot for Indigenous people and Indigenous rights. And he was actually accepted into a tribe. He was made an honorary tribe member. So he's, there is this Gord Downey and Cheney Wenjack Foundation. And what it does, it's a fund. And what it does is it raises money for Indigenous people. And I'm just pulling up the page, pop up, go away. Okay, so Today is a day to listen, and what that means is it's amplifying Indigenous voices. So from 6 a.m. today until 6 p.m. tonight on all radio stations across Canada, every single radio station from the East Coast to the West Coast. In recognition of National Indigenous History Month, Bell Media, Chorus Entertainment, Inc., Rogers Sports Media, Stingray Radio, and more joined together in an unprecedented collaboration to amplify, elevate, listen to, and learn from Indigenous voices with A Day to Listen. That's today. In partnership with the Gord Downey and Chaney Wenjack Fund, A Day to Listen is dedicated to sharing stories from Indigenous leaders, residential school survivors, Elders, musicians, and teachers throughout the day. The collaboration follows the public announcement that the remains of 215 children were buried at the site of the former Kamloops Indian Residential School and growing numbers of children at former residential school sites across Canada. With more than 500 radio stations participating, spanning different markets, regions, and formats, A Day to Listen aims to leverage the power of radio to enact real change and begin to set a course for a more equitable future. The mission of DWF is to create a pathway towards reconciliation and to improve the lives of Indigenous people by building awareness, education, and connections between all Canadians. Now, you can go to um, downywenjack.ca, which is D O W N I E. W e n j a c k dot c a and you'll be able to hear all of the stories and they're all there. Like there's a ton of them, a ton of interviews. And I was listening to this one gentleman tell his tale, and he was talking about how he and he had three brothers, and they lived on the reserve with their mother, and the government came um, and took th- took his three brothers. They left him, and they took his three brothers. And he said that he remembered distinctly his mom screaming and screaming and screaming, please don't take my babies. And they took the three brothers and put them in residential school. And two of them did not survive. Only one of them made it out. And as I'm listening to him tell this story, and you can kind of hear it now, as I'm listening to him tell this story, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of that mother and having this complete stranger come into your home and take three of your children, for no reason, and two of them to die. Now, whether or not she knew at the time that they had died or they found out later, I don't know. I didn't get to hear the rest of the story because it was my turn in line. But I was sitting in the A&W parking lot line, drive-through line, and I was crying. Because these stories are so horrific, and a lot of them tell them with very dispassionate voices, with very unemotional voices. And if you know anything about mental health and anything about trauma and the survivors of trauma, when we recount a story of something traumatic that has happened to us, especially something so heinous and so unbelievable that it's hard to wrap your brain around, we tend to do it with a very unemotional voice, like we're recounting a tale of somebody else because a lot of times we have disassociated ourselves with what happened. And I'm not comparing myself in any way, shape, or form, if that's what you're thinking this sounds like, to what those that survived the residential schools are going through. I'm just speaking as a survivor of severe trauma, that when survivors of severe trauma recount the trauma that happened to them, they do it in a very matter-of-fact way. They do it in a very deadpan kind of way and that's how he was telling this and I think that's what broke me the most is to hear him recounting this like he was reading a grocery list like he was saying hey you know I just went down to the library found a book read a book it was a good book took it back to the library I think that's what broke me the most because I knew that tone I knew that he was broken inside because of that trauma so if you get an opportunity and You can, because it's not, you're not going to be able to go to the radio now because it happened on June 30th. But go to downywenjack.ca and check out A Day to Listen and listen to some of the stories. You can also donate while you're there. My best friend slash sister, she's like a sister to me, so I call her my sister. We did a thing before I came back down to my sister's. You see a lot of the orange T-shirts, and I have an orange T-shirt that she made me. Um, you see a lot of the footprints, and they say every child matters. Well, she made decals for our car, and I will permanently have these little orange feet on the back of my car. And in one of those feet, it says every child matters. And we did a video, a TikTok of putting it on my car, and we did a TikTok of putting it on her car, on hers. And since we have done that, she has been taking orders for these feet. Now, let me make this perfectly clear because I've already had a bridge troll come at me for this. She is not accepting money. She is not charging for these. She is not asking for money to mail these to you. She is not asking for anything. She is absorbing the entire cost. She is making these decals and she is mailing them out. She also hand delivered several in our local area because people in our local area wanted some as well. I think she's given out close to 30 now to people. She has mailed them all over all over Canada to people, all over Ontario to people, and she has taken in almost $50 in donations. She's not asking for donations. She's not asking for money at all. People are giving her donations to donate to our Indigenous people and to the, the causes and the charities in the area for our Indigenous people, especially those at Georgina Island. And it's, it's just amazing, like the the response to this has been so overwhelming i couldn't be prouder of her for doing this and for coming up with this idea and i proudly display those feet on my car when i was driving down here you know every opportunity i could get to get in front of somebody so that they could see those little feet in the back of my car and they could go oh hey yeah right and remember what's going on i did i took it i was weaving in and out of traffic and it was kind of cool but the response has been very overwhelming and the comments that I've had on my video on TikTok and on Instagram, because it posts it to Instagram as well, have been absolutely beautiful. People are very receptive to this. And I've had a lot of Indigenous people comment and say, thank you. You know, this means a lot to me. This, this has touched me deeply. And that's all I want to do. That's all I am capable of doing. I'm just one person. I'm just one voice if all I'm capable of doing is letting them know that I stand in solidarity with them, that I support them in their pain, that I acknowledge that they were done wrong, then that's what I'll do. That's what I'll do. Because that's what I can do. And I did a couple of, I did an episode a while ago, I think it was sometime last summer, about white privilege. And I'm waiting for my studio audience to shake. He head. there it is. There it is. <laughs> and in this case, Being of European descent, um, my mother's family is English, Irish, Dutch, and German. My biological father's family is Ukrainian. Being of European descent, I am of the privileged, of the lucky, of the society that they were trying to integrate the indigenous people into. I have more of a voice than they do. Hell, I have running water. A lot of them don't. And that's, that's another thing too, like we're, we're doing all of this and we're speaking out and we're, we're talking about all of these atrocities that, that were done to them. What about the ones that are still being done? Our own prime minister on his election platform, yes, Justin Trudeau, I am calling you out. When he was running for election, his platform was that he was going to have fresh running water to every reserve in Canada, that there would not be one house on a reserve in Canada without running water, fresh running water. And he said he would have it done in five years. Dude, it's been six, and not one reserve in Canada has fresh running water to them. Although, you almost put a pipeline through the one in Alberta for oil. Just going to throw that out there. I'm just going to leave that there and, and, and let you do with it what you will, because now he's, he's all up in arms and, and demanding an apology from the Pope, from the Catholic Church. Now, churches all across Canada have been placing what what they've been doing. When the 250 were found, or the 215 were found, they put 215 children's shoes on the steps of their churches to acknowledge those deaths. And a lot of, I mean, there have been some. There was video of a Catholic priest standing at his pulpit, talking about how much good the residential schools did. And I will give the church credit. He is no longer a priest. He was, I don't know if they call it, defrocked, derobed, whatever. Booted out a few days later. But that is kind of how the Catholic Church deals with things. They will hide it. They will fire it. They will kick it out. They will make it go away instead of dealing with it. Don't get me started on the Catholic Church and the other abuses that they have done. See, I was, I was um, baptized Ukrainian Roman Catholic and I could never in my head reconcile their indoctrinations and their, their beliefs with just who I am. Now I was raised Anglican. I was raised in the Anglican Church and it's a little more acceptable. I guess that's the word. And it wasn't so much the church that turned me away. It was the minister at my church that turned me away. That, that kind of broke that for me. My relationship with my divine being is mine and mine alone. Doesn't belong to anybody else. Doesn't involve anybody else as mine. But I will never set foot into a Catholic church, ever. I don't care. My biological father died today, and his funeral was being held at St. Mary's. I'd stand on the street and wave. How you doing? Not going in? Nope. Not because I'm afraid I'm going to get struck down by lightning. I mean, I've been in churches before. There was... (laughs) I was going to kind of... This story was kind of going to get saved for the 52nd episode because it's a a Misha story, but I'm going to tell it now. I have been in a Catholic church... In recent years, well, about seven years ago, I went to Midnight Mass with Misha and her mom. And it was a big deal for Bernie. She was Irish, Roman Catholic. So we went to to Mass. And I'm not even sure where my brain was because, I mean, I know the layout of a Catholic church. I know the confessionals. And I turned around and I looked and went, oh, look, there's the bathrooms. Nope, those were the confessionals. (laughs) Not the bathrooms. (laughs) It was kind of funny at the time. But anyway, today is a day to listen, so if you get a chance, go check it out. Okay, so I think it's time to lighten things up a little bit. Um, It's gotten a little heavy on here, so we are going to, And I mean, I'm going to talk more about this uh, the more it comes out, because it's something that that I'm having a hard time. Like I told you guys a long time ago, this is kind of like a diary for me. It's kind of a place where I work out things that I'm struggling with, and you've heard me struggle. Believe me, you've heard me struggle. So you're going to hear more about this, and I'm sorry if this is getting old for you. If you're not Canadian, it, it's probably something that really doesn't interest you a whole lot or affect you a whole lot. But for us here in Canada, it is a huge issue, especially in the Western provinces like British Columbia, Alberta, Manitoba, Ontario. <laughs> so it's something that I'm I'm having a hard time grasping I'm having a hard time dealing with and especially seeing as it's children I can't handle when it's children I could probably very clinically look at it if it was adults and go oh that's horrible I feel really bad for them and move on but because it's children it really it, it's it's really bothering me. I've had nightmares. I've had anxiety. It it really is bothering me. And it should bother me. It really, it should. It should bother me. And I'm not going to not let it bother me. But I'm going to work through it. And you're all going to have to listen to it. Okay, so I started a segment a couple of weeks ago. And we carried it on last week. And we're going to carry it on this week called Fun Fact Friday. I don't know Maybe there should be like this lightning bolt sound or something. Or this crack of thunder. Or, you know, I don't know. Anyway. So fun fact Friday. Uh, I found another website and these are 65 weird facts. So weird. You won't believe they're true um, because fun fact Friday should be weird. Why not? Your host is weird. Sometimes the facts should be weird. I'm just going to read this to you because I can't ad lib it any better. It says there's a reason people say that truth is stranger than fiction between impressive inventions and natural oddities. The world can be a pretty incredible place. Just when you think you're too jaded and you know it all people and things can surprise you in delightful ways. Wondering how long it would take to drive to space? Or where a quarter of the bones in your body are located? Or what you call a rainbow that happens at night? Eh? You'll find out all that and more when you read through these trivia tidbits from around the world. Here we go. So, apparently, there is a company that turns dead bodies into ocean reef. Now, I'm going to find out where they do this, and that is one place I am not going to swim. I have seen Friday the 13th. Against my will, I have seen Friday the 13th. I see that dead body coming up out of the water at the end of the movie, grabbing the little kid in the canoe. So I am not going anywhere near where they're making a whole ocean reef out of dead bodies. Because that's just zombie apocalypse waiting to happen. And they're in salt water. So they're preserved. For those who romanticize a burial at sea, the company Eternal Reefs offers an innovative solution. It mixes, ah, okay, so here we go. So we're not talking zombies, we're talking haunted. All right? It mixes the cremated remains of a person with concrete to create a pearl onto which loved ones can etch personal messages, handprints, or environmentally friendly mementos. The pearl, I'm not sure where concrete is environmentally friendly, but okay. The pearl is then encased in a reef ball. That is dropped into the sea where it provides a new habitat for fish and other sea life, helping encourage a vibrant ecosystem. The circle of life at work. Okay, so, you know, y'all know I have a fear of sharks, right? I would be the only reef ball rolling my happy little keister out of there at the first sign of a shark coming anywhere near me. All of a sudden, this little reef ball would reanimate and I would be out of there and be across the top of the water and on land. Just saying. Okay, this one I found, this one I was giggling about earlier. So the name bonobo resulted from a misspelling. Now, bonobo is the common name for apes, and it may sound like some sort of translation of a meaningful term, but in fact, it was the result of a typo. Researchers reputedly first found the animals in the town of Balobo in the 20s, but the name of the place was misspelled bonobo on the shipping crate in which the animal was placed, leading others to refer to the animal by the name which stuck. Kind of cool. Oh, I need to find this one. Did you know there's an annual coffee break festival? For millions of people, the coffee break is a key but often underappreciated part of the day. To stop and give the break its proper due, the town of Stoughton, Wisconsin, woohoo, going to Wisconsin, hosts an annual coffee break festival. The gathering includes coffee tasting, brew-offs, and bean splitting contests. Why Stoughton? According to city officials, the coffee break was born in the city in the late 1800s as women working in the local Gunderson Tobacco Warehouse began the ritual of pausing during the workday to brew up some coffee and have a chat. Well, Ooh, ooh, did you know you can buy a flying bicycle? I want a flying bicycle. Sounds like something out of a sci-fi novel. British inventors John Foden and Yannick Reed have come up with a bicycle that actually flies. The Explore Air Paravello is composed of a folding bicycle and a lightweight trailer that contains a biofuel-powered fan motor. The motor turns the fan, and with enough of a runway, it can reach up to 25 miles per hour in the air and 4,000 feet in altitude. When the inventors were unable to reach their funding goal to produce enough Explore Airs for wide availability, they they are offering their inventive services through bespoken production That's kind of cool. Oh, see, I always knew dolphins were shifty. Did you know they sleep with one eye open? Hmm, that's kind of cool. Dolphins are known to be one of the smartest animals on the planet, possibly because they can conserve their brain power. Because they must be constantly on the lookout for predators, the marine mammals have developed a neat trick of maintaining partial consciousness even as part of their brain sleeps. Researchers have tested whether this half-sleep negatively impacts the animal's alertness during the day, but have found that even after five days of having their nocturnal alertness constantly tested, they remained as alert and perceptive as ever. Oh, now, I don't understand how this would work. Vacuum cleaners were originally horse-drawn. Could you imagine? You got a little area rug, you got a vacuum, you got to go out back to the stable and get Bessie and bring her in, hook her up and vacuum your carpet. And then you have to clean up the horse poop. One of the earliest known vacuum cleaners was so large that it had to be hauled from house to house via a horse-drawn carriage. Its giant hoses were popped through the windows of the customers and a gas-powered motor generated the suction that pulled the dirt and debris into a glass container where onlookers could gawk at the volume of filth coming from their neighbors' homes. Oh, no, no, no. The largest padlock in the world weighs 916 pounds. So for all you people that are into that locking, you know... Lock and key with your partner thing. That's, you know, there you go. 916 pounds. Guaranteed they're not going to go anywhere. Where are we going? Let's find an interesting one. <laughs> okay. I said let's find an interesting one. Here we go. So, the King of Fright. No, not Stephen King. The other one, the original one. Alfred Hitchcock. You would think the man wasn't afraid of anything. Or if he was afraid of something, it would be really, really scary. But the master of suspense, who terrified audiences with movies like Psycho and the Birds, considered himself an ovophobe. Do you know what an ovophobe is? Somebody who's afraid of eggs. Alfred Hitchcock is afraid of eggs. I'm frightened of eggs. Worse than frightened. They revolt me. That white round thing without any holes and then you break it. Inside there's that yellow thing round without any holes. Blood is jolly. Red. But egg yolk is yellow. Revolting. I've never tasted it. Alfred Hitchcock was afraid of eggs. Oh, I need to be a pig. I need to be a pig. Pigs don't sweat. Did you know that? Pigs don't sweat. Someone tells you they're sweating like a pig, you might want to point out to them if you're that sort of person, which everybody knows I am, that if they were being biologically accurate, that would mean that they were not sweating at all. Swine are born without sweat glands, so when they need to cool off, their only option tends to be finding a cool puddle of mud in which they can roll around in, which makes perfect sense. She's really enjoying that. No rawhide rawhide. Okay, so here's something else for you, too. The fuller the fridge is, the more energy efficient it is. Did you know that? Smarty pants. My live studio audience apparently knew that. Actually, it kind of makes sense because I have found, like, with just a room in general, the more stuff that's in a room, the less energy it takes to heat it or cool it because less open space for the air to have to be heated or cooled. Alright, so, an empty fridge not only makes it more difficult to decide what to snack on, it also wastes valuable energy. It works like this. The more empty space in the fridge, the more cold air is displaced by warm when you open the door, requiring the appliance to generate cool air to replace it. Which is why you always had your mother yelling at you to close the refrigerator door when you're standing there staring into the refrigerator looking for a snack. And you ever notice that, you know, you go to the refrigerator, you open the door, and you look in, you don't see anything... And you stand there and you stare at everything for a few minutes and then you close the door and you go and look in the cupboards, you look at the cabinet, you go look in the pantry and you still can't find anything to snack on. Then you end up going back to the fridge and looking again like maybe things have changed. Like somebody has snuck in and stuck something in there. I found myself doing this and I live alone. I know what's in my fridge. There's about 12 things in my fridge. Okay, so here's an interesting one. And this is for all you Lego fans out there. There is a Lego bridge in Germany that you can walk across. An actual Lego bridge. Now, I'm looking at this Lego bridge, and these Lego pieces are huge. They are absolutely huge. I suggest you Google it, because it's kind of cool. I'm looking at these two, like, little Lego men, and they're not little. Because there's a guy on the sidewalk, well, two people on the sidewalk, actually, taking pictures of these bigger-than-life-sized Lego people. So, the German town of Wuppertal is home to Lego Brücke, also known as Lego Bridge. A bridge that looks like it's made of candy-colored Lego bricks providing a foot and bike way for those looking to cross over the street below. Despite appearances, the bridge is not made of giant plastic bricks, however, but concrete, and it was painted to look like the popular building toys. Very cool. Well, I already knew that. Umbrellas were used once only by women, and they were called parasols. (laughs) Well, you know, he probably did a better job than some of our politicians today. For 20 years, a cat, a cat, Four legs, furry tail, a cat. Served as mayor of an Alaskan town. Yep. In nineteen ninety-seven, an orange cat named Stubbs became honorary mayor of an Alaskan of the Alaskan town of Talk Talkeetna. With a population of seven hundred and seventy-two in two thousand, it would not have taken too many votes to earn the position. And the small town did not actually have a real human mayor anyway. But Stubbs proved adept at the role, gaining fans from around the world and serving in the position for years, greeting tourists and becoming a beloved symbol of the town until his death in 2017. There's actually a picture of Stubbs. He's very cute. Little orange tabby cat. (laughs) Now this I knew too because I have actually seen it happen. Squirrels are behind most power outages in the U.S. Did you know that? The American Public Power Association says that squirrels are the most frequent cause of power outages in the U.S. The APPA even developed a data tracker called the Squirrel Index that analyzes the patterns and timings of squirrels' impact on electrical power system. Turns out, the peak times of the year for squirrel attacks are from May to June and October to November. Typically, the squirrels cause problems by tunneling, chewing through electrical insulation, or becoming a current path between electrical conductors. This I have seen. Frankly, the number one threat experienced to date by the U.S. electrical grid is squirrels. Squirrels. Told you they're evil. Oh, ew. Spider webs were used as bandages in ancient times. Woohoo! We're going to skip over that info. That's an old carrot. Okay, so a woman who lost her wedding ring found it 16, 16, 16 years later on a carrot in her garden. A woman in Sweden lost her wedding ring while cooking for Christmas in 1995. She looked everywhere for it and even had her kitchen floor pulled up hoping she could find it. But she wouldn't see it again until 2012. While gardening 16 years later, the woman found the ring around a carrot that was sprouting in the middle of it. The only explanation was that the ring must have been lost in vegetable peelings that were turned into compost. Clearly, composting isn't just good for the environment. Did you know that one quarter, one quarter of your bones, are located in your feet. (laughs) And I just completely surprised my live studio audience. Nice to know he's paying attention. There are 26 bones in each foot. That's 52 bones in both feet, out of 206 total bones in your whole body, which is more than 25%. may sound crazy at first, but think about it. Your feet support your weight and allow you to jump, run, and climb. Those bones and joints also allow your feet to absorb and release energy efficiently. It's one of the reasons humans can outrun any other animal in an endurance race. You don't have to be faster than the animal that's trying to catch you and eat you. You just have to have more endurance. They will tire quicker. Oh, that's kind of cool. Blood donors in Sweden receive a text when their blood is actually used. So if you donate blood and your blood is used to save somebody's life, you're sent a text and say, hey, we used your blood today. That's kind of cool. Kind of gives you a little pat on the back and lets you know you saved a life. And it's to encourage more young people to donate blood. uh, This hospital in Sweden sends a text to donors when their blood has been dispensed to someone in need. A common issue with blood donation, along with other types of charitable donations, is that if a donor doesn't know the recipient, it's harder to convince them that donating is worth it. Because, you know, people are very selfish nowadays. But with this system, which started in 2012, potential donors in Sweden have proof that their contribution is going to good use. I would hope that if you donate blood, you would already know that it's going to a good use and not to some, you know, secret vampire. I mean, come on. In all reality, vampires could be real. The government hid the fact that there were aliens for how long and finally admitted that there were. So, you know, they're denying the the existence of vampires and werewolves. So it could be a positive. It's not out of the realm of possibility. It's not out of the realm of possibility. No, it's not. No, it's not. You said, everybody said aliens. Were. Yes, I am arguing with my live studio audience. You can't hear him, but he's looking at me like I have three heads. Okay. Anyway, what's this? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what's this <double>? stop? <coughs> Oh my gosh, I'm going to hell for this one, but I'm going to share it anyway. (laughs) All right, brace yourself. You are more likely to get a computer virus from visiting religious sites than porn sites. According to research from security firm Simitech, they are the same people that put out Norton, religious websites carry three times more malware threats than pornography sites. uh, I think it's pronounced semantic. I always mispronounce it. Found that the average number of security th- threats on religious sites was around 115, compared to adult content sites, which carried around 25. In fact, only 2.4% of adult sites were infected with malware. The researchers hypothesized that because adult sites need to generate a profit, so there's a financial incentive to keeping them virus free to encourage repeat business. Makes complete perfect sense to me. <laughs> Oh, my. Oh, I don't think I could ever eat those chips again. So the inventor of the Pringles can is actually buried in one. In 1966, Friedrich Bauer developed an ingenious idea for Procter & Gamble to uniformly stack chips inside of a can instead of tossing them in a bag. Bauer was so proud of his invention that he wanted to take it to the grave. Literally. He communicated his burial wishes to his family, and when he died at the age of 89, his children stopped at Walgreens on the way to the funeral home to buy his burial Pringles can. They did have one decision to make, though. My siblings and I briefly debated what flavor to use. Bauer's eldest son, Larry, told Time. But I said, Look, we need to use the original Frederick Bauer, an American classic. <laughs> I kind of love that. Hey, I didn't know this one. Sunglasses were originally designed for Chinese judges to hide their facial expressions in court. That makes complete and total sense. Cotton candy was invented by a dentist. Apparently, he was low on business. Dentist William Morrison and confectioner John C. Wharton invented machine-spun cotton candy in 1897. It was the first introduced at the 1904 World's Fair as fairy floss. Oh, I need to keep track of those dates. Anyway, Anyway, another dentist, Joseph, oh, it's a French last name, reinvented the machine in 1921. He came up with the name Cotton Candy, which replaced Fairy Floss. I actually prefer the name Fairy Floss over Cotton Candy. I think it's way cooler. Oh, now this I actually did know. I did actually know this. Shakespeare's epitaph contains a curse for grave robbers. Did actually know that. When William Shakespeare died at 52 years old on April 23rd, 1616, he was buried in a tomb that featured an epitaph meant to ward off grave robbers. Good, oh, it's Old English, give me a minute. Oh, good, they do they do actually translate it? Perfect. So what it says is, good friend, for Jesus' sake forbear, to dig the dust enclosed here, blessed be the man that spares these stones and cursed be he that moves my bones. Even rhymes So Shakespearean. Okay, so a New Orleans hotel offered $15,000, offered a $15,000 stay to a whoever stole the most outrageous item from them. So, in March 2019, the Roosevelt Hotel in New Orleans decided to celebrate its 125th anniversary by offering a free seven-night stay in its presidential suite, along with complimentary private dinners and spa treatments worth a whopping $15,000. But this wasn't a standard giveaway. The prize was only available to the person who returned the most outrageous item ever stolen from the hotel. That is great marketing. That is Excellent marketing. And what would you think would be the most outrageous thing you could steal from the hotel? See, most people would think something physical. Most people would think something physical, like you would steal the bidet from the bathroom or the TV from the bedroom or the box spring from the bed. What if you stole the concierge or bellhop? Come on now, that's pretty outrageous. You take the bellhop and his little cart, and off you go. Because, he, and actually, if you think about it logistically, the bellhop and that cart would be the easiest thing to steal. You pull up with a white van, you put your bags, you stay for one night, you put your bags on, and you get the little bellhop to take it out to your white van, and you just push them in the back, and off you go. There you go. Easy peasy. Done like dinner. Where's my $15,000 seven-day stay? <laughs> okay, so, we're only going to read a few more of these things, and then... Uh, Oh, wow, this is kind of weird. Did you know that children of identical twins are genetically siblings, not cousins? That. <laughs> Sorry, I listened listening to the squeaking going on behind me here. So, children of identical twins are genetically siblings, not cousins. Cousins whose parents are identical twins share 25% of their DNA instead of the usual 12.5% while full siblings share 50% of their DNA. Half siblings share 25%. That's why, though children of identical twins are legally cousins, they are genetically the equivalent of half siblings. It's kind of cool. Oh, check this out. A giant tortoise thought to be extinct for 100 years was recently discovered in the Galapagos. You can discover a lot of things in the Galapagos. (laughs) Leave it to those crazy Californians. So, the Goodyear blimp. Is the official bird of Redondo Beach, California. The Goodyear blimp is nothing short of iconic. But we wouldn't classify it as a bird. Still, that didn't stop Redondo Beach. A coastal city situated near the Goodyear blimp's home airport in Carson, California. From passing a resolution in 1983 to make the blimp its official bird. I guess birds are hard to come by in California. I don't know. Not a lot of trees. So, did you know it would only take one hour to drive to space? Yep, one hour. If you got into your car, turned on the ignition, and drove up to the sky at 60 miles per hour, it would take just one hour to get to outer space, according to astronomer Fred Hoyle. Of course, this is purely theoretical, but it's sure fun to think about. Okay, you know what? I'm going to be going through my cornflakes now. Did you know a cornflake? A cornflake. Not even a frosted flake. Or a grape nut a cornflake in the shape of Illinois sold on eBay for $1,350. Yep. Got to go buy me a box of cornflakes. See if I can get all 50 states and most of Canada. That would be kind of cool. I would I could make a map, a cornflake map. <laughs> oh man, one of the teeth just fell off of my one of my hair clips cuz I'm sitting here playing with it and I really should stop cuz they're dollar store hair clips. All right. Wow. Did you know that a cloud, a cloud, those light white fluffy things in the sky can weigh more than a million pounds. Piper, what are you doing? No, come back here. Come back. back. She's got my pajamas now, people. We have a bit of, we have a bit of a situation. Hang on. All right. Pajamas are rescued. Dog has resumed chewing. Okay. Clouds are not as light as fluffy as they appear. In fact, researchers have found that a single cloud weighs about 1.1 million pounds. How do they know? Well, that number is calculated by taking the water density of a cloud and multiplying it by its volume. Fortunately, the cloud can still float at that weight because of the air below it It is even heavier. The Apollo 11 crew used hundreds of autographs as life insurance. Neil Armstrong and the Apollo 11 crew faced the real chance that they wouldn't return from the moon safely, leaving their families without financial support. Due to the extreme danger that they were about to face, they couldn't take out life insurance policies. So instead, they signed hundreds of autographs, which their families would be able to sell if they didn't make it home. Luckily, those life insurance autographs weren't needed. They do, however, show up in space memorabilia auctions today, selling for as much as $30,000. Did you know that the Queen, now if you're American, not your Queen, but our Queen, the Queen owns all the swans in England. So if you're a swan in England, the Queen owns your butt. According to British law, any unclaimed swan swimming in the open waters of England and Wales belongs to the Queen. The law originated in medieval times when swans were a delicacy for the wealthy. But it still stands today. Yes, they ate the swans. Queen Elizabeth II also upholds a centuries-old tradition with the swans. Every year, during the third week of July, all the swans in the River Thames are counted for the Queen in a practice called... Swan upping. Yup. The Brits are weird. <laughs> a fortune cookie company once foretold the lottery, resulting in 110 winners. I might pay attention to those numbers in the cookies that I can't eat. I can't eat them because they're made with coconut. Oh, interesting. A woman with two uteruses gave birth to twins less than a month after having a baby. Could you imagine? You have a baby. Yay! You're trying to get used to that no sleep, smelling like baby puke and poop thing, and then all of a sudden you have two more. <laughs> No. No. (laughs) A meteor exploded over Earth with the force of 10 atomic bombs and everybody missed it. Yep. You'd think if a special body met a phenomenally fiery fate right over our heads, we'd notice. But when a meteor hit our atmosphere on December 18th, 2018, and exploded with the force that was 10 times the energy of the Hiroshima atomic bomb, it wasn't discovered by NASA scientists until after the fact. Turns out... It went largely undetected because it took place over the Bering Sea in an area that was close, but not directly on the path of commercial flights flying between North America and Asia. Louisiana is home to a rare pink dolphin. A moonbow is a rainbow that happens at night. Yeah, usually over Niagara Falls. If a storm is passing and the sun starts shining, you might be lucky enough to spot a rainbow. But did you know that you can see sometimes just as amazing at night? While they're incredibly unusual, moonbows, or lunar rainbows are caused by the reflection, refraction, and dispersion of light and tent, and tend to happen most often in places with waterfalls and mist. Again, I say Niagara Falls. There also needs to be a near full moon for there to be enough light for you to see it. Bumblebees can fly higher than Mount Everest. See, we're at 41. I'm thinking we might just end up going to 65 because this is kind of, okay, now this is interesting. The Terminator sold for a dollar. I know, right? The Terminator, starting, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton, earned a worldwide total of $78.3 million at the box office in 1984. As it went on, the franchise took, it, took in over $1.4 A bad for a movie whose rights sold for a dollar. Before James Cameron became famous for directing blockbusters like Titanic and Avatar, he was just an unknown filmmaker with an ambitious idea. In order to get his movie made, he handed over the rights to the script for a token amount on the terms that he would be allowed to direct the movie. Despite the eventual eventual success of the project, Cameron later admitted that he regrets the decision to sell such a valuable story for such a low amount, saying, I wish I hadn't sold the rights for $1. If I had had a little time machine and I could only send back something The length of a tweet, it'd be, it would be, don't sell. (laughs) I beg your pardon? Scientists discovered an organism with a disappearing butt. Um, Apparently it's not human. The comb jelly, also known as the warty comb jelly, sea walnut, or some scientific name, has a disappearing butt. Sydney Tam of the Marine Biology Laboratory in Woods Hole, Massachusetts, told new scientists that there is no documentation of a transient anus in any other animal that I know of. It is not visible when the animal is not pooping. There's no trace under the microscope. It's invisible to me. That's kind of interesting. Oh somebody tried to sell New Zealand on eBay <laughs> interesting uh, yes, there was a grilled there was a grilled ge- cheese grilled cheese sandwich. there was one with the face of the Virgin Mary. Uh, Justin Timberlake's half-eaten French toast, and somebody tried to sell New Zealand. Ooh, and I need to take a trip to London. A London tomb is supposedly a time machine or teleportation chamber. London's Brompton Cemetery inspires some strange beliefs. It's the final resting place of Hannah Courtroy, who had a well-known respect for ancient Egyptian astro- Egyptians' astrological and perhaps mystical knowledge. She's buried there, along with two of her daughters, in a massive 20-foot granite, <laughs> granite mausoleum that includes a pyramid peak and a bronze door decorated with Egyptian hieroglyphs. The entryway also features a keyhole, but the key that unlocks it was lost, which, along with Courtroy's history, sparked the tomb's peculiar reputation, because no one can get inside to confirm or deny superstitious superstition their superstitious suspicion there's a local legend that says it isn't a tomb at all but a time machine however historian stephen coates told mental floss it's not a time machine it's a teleportation chamber all right huh. sumo wrestlers make babies cry for good luck i knew i didn't like them 155 year old mousetrap successfully caught a mouse in 2016 a human can swim through a blue whale's veins. No, thank you. <laughs> I think I will just pass on that. Crying makes you feel happier. Eh? They don't call it a good cry for nothing. Studies suggest that crying stimulates the production of endorphins. Well, yes, our body's natural painkiller and feel-good hormones like oxytocin. In short, crying will more ultimately lead to smiling more. No, I have other ways of releasing endorphins. Thank you very much, crying. I can do without. I do that enough as it is. Uh, international astronauts must be able to speak Russian. I could never be an international astronaut then. I can barely speak English on a good day. The electric chair was invented by a dentist. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Masters of torture, those creatures are. Even the man who created Comic Sans has only used it once, the font. You know what? I used to actually have when Yahoo was the messenger to use. I actually had my Yahoo set to Comic Sans and I used it all the time. I actually like it. I think it looks kind of cool. It made me unique and it was purple. So at least one of the colors in the Olympic flag appears on all national flags. I knew that. Um, Australia has pink and purple lakes. Oh, pity. I'll never see them. I'm not going go to ever go to Australia. They have really big bugs, ginormous spiders. And it's in the middle of a saltwater water ocean that is full of sharks so yeah no because if a really big bug is chasing me it's not like I can run off into the water because then a shark's going to eat me so Australia is not on my list of places to go purple pink lakes or not what makes them pink oh it's algae never mind Ew. the tea bag was an accidental invention I'm sure it was In 1908, New York tea merchant Thomas Sullivan sent samples of tea leaves to some of his customers in small silken bags. Many of the recipients assumed that the bags were supposed to be used in the same way as a metal infuser. So they put the entire bag into the teapot rather than emptying out the contents. After such positive feedback from the happy accident, Sullivan designed intentional tea bags for commercial production. (laughs) Okay, so if you have a beard or a mustache, actually, if you have a mustache, pay attention. Almost 163,000 pints of Guinness are wasted in facial hair each year. An actual research study, yes, an actual research study commissioned by Guinness found that an estimated 162,719 pints of Irish stout go to waste every year via mustaches. The study found that 0.56 milliliters of Guinness get trapped in the average beard or mustache with each sip, and it takes about 10 sips to finish a pint. An estimated 92,370 Guinness consumers every year in the UK have facial hair. Assuming they consume, on average, 180 pints a year, the total cost of wasted Guinness annually is about $536,000. The moral of this story shave and save. (laughs) Or just don't drink Guinness. (laughs) Okay, this one made me snork. The Russians arrived 12 days late to the 1908 Olympics because they were using the wrong calendar. It's kind of funny. Over 2,000 years ago, Julius Caesar promoted the use of the Julian calendar, a 365-day calendar that didn't account for leap years. Eventually, the calendar fell out of sync with the seasonal equinoxes, and holidays like Easter didn't land where they should. Finally, in fifteen eighty two, Pope Gregory the five, six, seven, eighth mandated that oh wait, yeah, eighth mandated that Catholic nations switch to a new Gregorian calendar that solved the problem. But for many countries, including Russia, the switch from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian took centuries. As a result, in 1908, the Russians missed the first 12 days of the Olympics, which was hosted in London because they were still using the Julian calendar. The country finally changed over in 1918 after the Bolsheviks took control. Fun bonus fact, Greece, the country where the Olympics were born, was the last nation to make the switch in 1923. Wow. (gasps) Really? Oh man. I really need to get on this highway. I'm going to find it and I'm going to do it and I'm going to take this highway to California and I'm going to get a really big needle and an amplifier and see if it works. Apparently, the grooves in the road on Route 66 play America the Beautiful. Really? Yeah. New Mexico's Department of Transportation decided to spice up a desolate quarter-mile stretch of Route 66 between Albuquerque and... To hit us, I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it. I know the J's sound like H's, so we're gonna go with it. Grooves were added in the road that play music when you drive over them. Ooh, I don't even have to get a needle. <laughs> Going the speed limit of 45 miles per hour. The grooves work just like little rumble strips, which vibrate your car if you drift out of your lane. These particular strips are positioned to create different pitches when you drive over them. And if you do, you can clearly hear America the Beautiful play through the vibrations in your car's wheels. Wouldn't it? You know what? That would be like the coolest thing to load up the kids in the car and take them out for science day. Totally cool science experiment. Did you know Elvis Presley's manager sold I hate Elvis badges? Yep. I hate Elvis. Paper bags can be worse for the environment than plastic ones. It's become a common notion that paper is always a better choice than plastic. In fact, bags on, bands on plastic bags are regularly being enacted. However, both paper and plastic have the drawbacks. According to research, paper bag production emits 70% more pollution, uses four times as much energy, and takes more time to break down when compared to plastic bags. Guess the best option is to carry reusable bags with you. Wow, this I did not know. The fastest man in the world has scoliosis. You might assume that a man who could run as fast as Usain Bolt would be the embodiment of physical perfection. But it turns out, Bolt has had his share of physical difficulties to overcome, including scoliosis. Hmm. Just think about that for a minute. Dude's got a curved spine, and he runs faster than any other human being on the face of this planet. Talk about overcoming. The majority of people in Iceland believe in elves. If I lived in Iceland, I would too. I always knew I loved Janice Joplin. Janice Joplin left twenty five hundred dollars in her will for her friends to have a party. Bubble wrap was originally intended to be wallpaper. Oh my gosh. Oh I'm sorry. That is just that is just that just makes my little heart very, very giddy. Could you imagine bubble paper wall oh I can't even say it, I'm so excited. I would just be rolling myself all over the place, popping all the little bubbles. And oh, yeah, it would just be bad. It would be bad. Ooh, that explains yellow license plates in Ohio. Ohio DUI offenders must use yellow license plates. So if you see a yellow license plate and it's from Ohio, you know that dude's a drunk driver. Or at least he was. He has a DUI. The standard Ohio license plate is white with navy blue letters, just like Ontario, and numbers and a red border at the top. That is, of course, if you don't have multiple DUIs. Since 1967, Ohio has issued special yellow license plates with red letters to DUI offenders. As of 2004, these scarlet letter plates, or party plates, are mandatory for repeat DUI offenders. And whenever a driver's blood alcohol level is twice the legal limit, while there is public shame that comes along with these license plates, it also helps the police spot those vehicles when patrolling highways. So if you end up with one of those plates, you are a heat score. And that is your 65, give or take, fun fat, Fun the Friday facts. I think on that note, now that I am incredibly thirsty and my text message is suddenly blowing up because somebody needs a ride, I'm going to end this one hour and 30 minute podcast. <laughs> Poor Joe. I feel for you, Joe. Anyway, I think this is one of the longest podcasts on Lupus Bits that I've ever done. Congratulate myself. Yay me. Anyway, I hope you guys all have a good week. And if you want to come and try and find me, I am on Facebook at Lupus Bits the Podcast. I am on the World of Myth magazine. I am at Dark Myth Productions. I am in Dark Myth Writers. I am at Stephanie J. Barty. I am at Lupabarty. And that's just Facebook. You head on over to Instagram. You can find me at Lou Baskets, at Lupas Bits, the podcast, at Stephanie Bardi Author, at Stephanie Bardi Author. And I think that's it. That's all of the Instagrams. I'm pretty sure that's all of the Instagrams. I'm on TikTok at Lady Luhoo And if you just put in at Lupa B on Twitter, you will find me because I am just about everywhere. All right, everybody. That is it for this week. Until next week. See ya.